The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Complete again, and it's Johnson Culianos. Two plays, two first downs for Iowa. Stanzi again, McNutt, McNutt. To the end zone! Touchdown, Iowa! And just like that, in three plays, Iowa gets into the end zone and regains the lead. The touchdown play from Stanzi to McNutt goes for 52 yards, and it's a five-point lead for the Hawkeyes. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeyes Mike. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and the Reporters' Roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You will hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald. We'll review the Iowa-Indiana game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview the Iowa-Northwestern game. The Iowa-Indiana game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with Tom Wormy and Derek Rackley. A decent job calling the game. These two work well together. We very much appreciate it and thank them. I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. You got to chalk this one up as a victory for the Indiana defense. The fact that they were able to get a stop and force Iowa to a field goal attempt, especially after how the drive went early on, Iowa seemed like they had a lot of momentum. So the fact that they're forcing the Hawkeyes to a field goal attempt is a win for that Indiana defense. 23-yard attempt from Mike Meyer. He is 5 of 6 on field goal attempts in the season. He's made five in a row. Meyer from 23 yards away. And the Hawkeyes are on the board first. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Second and 13, 2.41 to go in the first quarter. Over the middle, deflected and intercepted. Brent Greenwood with the interception off the deflection and the ball goes back to Iowa. Greenwood with his fourth interception of the season to lead Iowa. Everybody's got their eyes on the quarterback. They like to get those deflections. That turns into turnovers for the defense. The Iowa Hawkeyes hit the road for the first of two straight away games in a crucial stretch of the Big Ten season, facing off against the Indiana Hoosiers and their explosive passing offense in Bloomington. And once again, the Hawks struggled against Indiana, especially on offense. But when the final second ticked off the clock, Iowa was victorious 18-13 in an unexpectedly low-scoring game. The Hawks did not really look ready to play this contest, but they did what they had to do to win. Iowa's Offense finally clicked late in the fourth quarter on a long Stanzi to McNutt touchdown pass, the Hawks' only touchdown in the game. And even though Iowa's defense failed to stop Indiana on its last drive, eerily similar to the Wisconsin and Arizona losses, the Hoosiers' DeMarlo Belcher dropped a likely game-winning touchdown pass from Ben Chappell in the end zone with 28 seconds left to preserve the Hawks' win. 
The Hawks' defense, however, did hold Indiana's offense well below its season averages. This was another contest where statistics don't really tell the story. The Hawks racked up big numbers between the 10-yard lines, but struggled between the 10 and the goal line. It was ugly, but it kept Iowa in the hunt for the Rose Bowl. Good teams figure out a way to win, even when they're not having their best day. This game was Indiana's 10th straight Big Ten loss and its 11th in a row against a top 25 team. Meanwhile, Iowa has now won 22 out of its last 26 games. It is also the eighth season the Hawks have won at least seven games with Kirk Ferentz as their head coach. Another thing that has become clear is that this Iowa team probably has more depth across the board than any other squad under Ferentz. The Hawks now prepare for this Saturday's road game against a Northwestern team that has cost Iowa dearly in the recent past. This contest is another critical one if the Hawkeyes want to stay in the Big Ten title chase for a Rose Bowl berth. Perhaps the Indiana game was a wake-up call. It better be. As tough as Indiana played the Hawks, Northwestern is likely to be much more difficult to beat. I'm proud of you fellas. You all kept your head on a swivel, and that's what you gotta do when you find yourself in a vicious cockfight. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Post-game notes and key stats. The nail-biter over Indiana improves Iowa's overall record against the Hoosiers to 41-27-4, and the Hawks have now won three straight against Indiana. But they are rarely easy by any means. For the second year in a row, it took a fourth-quarter rally for the Hawks to prevail. Iowa has now outscored the Hoosiers 51-0 combined in the fourth quarter over the last three meetings. Senior quarterback Ricky Stanzi seemed out of sync much of the day, but still put up good numbers. He completed 22 of 33 passes for 290 yards and one touchdown. He also threw only his third interception of the season, but Ferentz indicated after the game that was due to a receiver running the wrong route. The Hawks are 25-6 with Stanzi as the starter, and Ricky has thrown at least one touchdown pass in each of the last 18 games he has played. Stanzi now has 20 touchdown passes on the year while only throwing three picks. Senior wide receiver Darrell Johnson Koulianos became Iowa's career leader in pass receptions. He ended the game with six catches for 72 yards. Wideout Marvin McNutt led Iowa's receiving core with six catches for 126 yards and the Hawks' only TD, a 52-yard reception with just two minutes and 50 seconds left in the game. With Adam Robinson left behind in Iowa City due to a concussion, true freshman Marcus Coker stepped up and had a big day, 22 carries for 129 yards. This performance marked the the third straight year, Iowa has had a freshman running back gain over 100 yards against the Hoosiers. Freshman Mike Meyer was a critical component in Iowa's win, hitting on four of five field goal attempts, including his career long of 42 yards to pull the Hawks within one late in the fourth quarter. Defensively, another true freshman, James Morris, had an excellent game starting at middle linebacker and calling the defensive signals. Jeremiah Hunter returned from an injury and was credited with eight tackles and two pass breakups. Micah Hyde and Sean Prater each accumulated 10 tackles, both personal bests. Hyde had two pass breakups, Prater won. As a team, the Hawks had a season-high nine pass breakups in this game, and safety Brent Greenwood had a key interception off a Ben Chappell pass in the first quarter, his team-leading fourth interception of the season on a deflection by Morris. Iowa was four of five in the red zone, but they were all field goals. The Hawks were unable to get any touchdowns when they got close. 
Indiana was a perfect 3 of 3 in the red zone, two field goals, and a TD. Iowa's one turnover in this game gave them just six turnovers in nine games on the season, and the Hawks have played four games with no turnovers. The Hawks were penalized a season-high nine times in this contest for 65 yards, and several of them seemed to come at critical times and really hurt Iowa. For his performance against Indiana, place kicker Mike Meyer was named Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week. Key stats, first down, the Hawks had 22 to the Hoosiers 19, net yards rushing, 155 for Iowa, only 91 for Indiana, net yards passing 290 for the Hawks, 222 for the Hoosiers. Total offense, 445 for Iowa, 313 for Indiana, total offensive plays, the Hoosiers got off more, 70 to the Hawks, 62. Possession time, Iowa had the ball, 31 minutes and 2 seconds to Indiana's 28-58. Third down conversions, the Hawks were 5 of 12, Indiana 6 of 14. Third and goal for the Hawkeyes. Look at the play clock. Delay of game, offense. Five-yard penalty, still third down. You got to put that one on Ken O'Keefe and Ricky Stanzi. They've got to get that operation going a little bit quicker. There's another flag. Ball stop. Number 53 offense. Five-yard penalty, still third down. And now Iowa takes a timeout. And that play clock was dwindling down one more time. That Hawkeye offense is definitely out of sorts right now. They're completely going the wrong direction. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked about his impressions of Northwestern starting quarterback Dan Persa. Yeah, yeah I can't say enough about him, and, and I don't want to say he's Kafka, but, you know, uh, Kafka's a great story. You know, last year he wasn't a four-year starter, but, you know, just played extremely well. He's playing in the NFL now. And look at his last last outing. I think he was involved in 98 touches, if I think I read that correct. I think he threw 70 passes and ran, you know, what's that leave you, 28 carries or something. Something like that. It was a ridiculous performance he had, and and uh, you know this this quarterback did a great job last year against us. You know, you know a lot of the focus last year was us losing our quarterback, which we did. But you know Kafka was hurt against us. So, I mean they, they did a great job with uh, uh, a person playing a very prominent role. He, first thing I'd say about him, he's a tremendous competitor. He's really he's not in awe of anything. He just uh, plays plays very well, and he's. Uh, a guy that throws the football well, but also can run it, and that's that's going to be the difference from last week in terms of attack. You know, uh, Northwestern's a they're, they're going to run the ball more. You know, they're going to end up with uh, probably 35, 40 carries in the, in the game, so it's a little different than what we saw last week. Ferentz was asked about playing nine true freshmen so far this year and their performance to date. It wasn't necessarily by design, but it's just you know things have worked that way, and we've had some injuries that have forced us maybe to uh, open our 
our eyes a little bit and just you know consider some other options. Yeah, some of these guys have just kind of been called called into action here a little bit uh, by necessity. But then, yeah, I think I mean, we're pleased with all the guys, what they're doing, the contributions they're making. Uh, in a perfect world, I probably wish we were a little healthier at some other spots or maybe had some other uh, guys contributing where we didn't have to, to call on these guys. But uh, yeah, in the linebacker situation, as an example, you know, we, we came into the season with very you know very veteran. We had a lot of guys in that senior class and uh, I think one junior. So it's really not a bad thing that it's worked out this way. But I'm not sure it was our master plan. You know, we thought we'd get those guys uh, started on on special teams, uh, James and uh, Christian Kirksey in particular. But you know, James has really done a good job. You know, he doesn't seem to be overwhelmed by any of this, and it's been really impressive what he's done. He's doing a great job in the classroom on top of it, and really could say the same thing about Marcus and Mike Meyer as well. Yeah, Marcus had a um, uh, you know little detour there. He had that six-week roadblock where he was hurt. You know, he got really impeded his progress, but uh, you know, he's, he's shown us a lot the last two weeks. Ference talks about opposing offenses employing quick passing schemes to try to counter Iowa's strength on the defensive line. A lot of people throw the ball pretty quickly. You know, I mean, just because a team passes uh, a lot doesn't mean they're throwing the ball down the field. You know, a lot of those... uh, you know, bubble screens or the little you know quick passes, that type of thing, and that that's really kind of what we were doing in '99. We couldn't block anybody, so you know, I mean, Waddell Betts might be the toughest back ever in the history you know, to gain the yards he got in '99. And it's I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. We just you know we had Steinbach at 248, we had Nelson at 250, you know, and whatever the other guys we had. But I mean, that's what we we're playing with. So uh, you know, I mean, we we're throwing the ball out in the getting it out quick and uh so but i guess my point is that's that's what you do sometimes to neutralize you know if you can't block those guys and you get the ball and i'm not saying other people can't block us but uh the quick blocking or quick throw game is is effective and uh we're keeping seven guys in and doubling up here and there that's a good way to do things too and if we're playing a team that's got a real strong front then we're you know we're going to utilize some that same strategy hopefully and you know so you're not getting your quarterback knocked out but you know a lot of teams they're just you know that's that's what they do they throw the ball in the perimeter throw it quick and uh you know run screens things of that nature to, to neutralize. Sacks are important, but they don't tell the whole story. You know, hitting the quarterback or getting them disrupted, that type of thing is really what it's all about. And this week we have a challenge because, uh, you know, this guy's going to pull it down and run with it, whereas, uh, you know, Indiana's quarterback, who's a tremendous quarterback, you know, he's been playing hurt all season. It looks like all season to me. It hasn't affected his throwing, but he's not he's not a big running threat right now. So, I mean, they, you know, they were going to get that ball out last week, then we're going to put him at danger, and that's, that's good coaching, too. But he, he sure throws that ball well. And Ferentz talks about what has made the matchup with Northwestern so difficult for Iowa in the recent past. You know, they've got, a, I think, a tremendous coaching staff. You know, uh, Randy and I came in the league the same time. I had great respect for Randy uh, as a person, most importantly, but he was a tremendous coach. And uh, Pat was on his staff and really handled a very difficult circumstance tremendously well. And, uh, boy, he's done nothing but, you know, he and his staff have done a great job coaching that team ever since he's taken over. Uh, they're, they're a good football team. And they, you know, they got good players that make plays. They're productive. Uh, the quarterback from last year is playing in the NFL. We haven't had one. I don't think we haven't had an NFL quarterback in 12 years just to put it in perspective and then uh yeah the thing about it is uh i think people i'm, I'm just speaking from uh, a vantage point you know there's been a couple different northwesterns you know they were great in, th- in 2000 the next two years uh you know we're down a little bit no two you know i mean it was it was a one-sided game out there but if you look at recent history they were, the missouri is fortunate to beat them two years ago in a bowl game and last year auburn who's in national title convent uh, contention talk right now you know beat them in overtime two overtime games and bowls they, they've had good football teams and in the last two years, at least, they've outplayed us. 06, they just, you know, we came in here with a sense of entitlement. They came in here without a win in the league, and they ran it down our throats, and then we couldn't 
move the ball running or throwing against them. Uh, but the last two years, I think they've been two even games, two very good teams playing. We've had the home field advantage and couldn't make make any uh, make anything out of it. And the bottom line is we've turned it over. You know, they've they've uh, done a good job of playing the way you're supposed to play, and we haven't. You know, I think we've had nine turnovers. They've had two in two years. So you, know, you do the math in an even game like that. You know, you're not going to win. And on top of that, we screwed up on special teams several times a couple years ago. So you know, to me, that's that's been the story. But you got two even teams. One team played uh, clean, playing real, played really well, and the other team didn't. And pretty academic. Who's going to win or lose? Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald was asked what he sees in Iowa that makes the Hawkeyes such a good team. Just across the board, you know, for for Kirk's career, they've been the best, one of the best coach teams here in this league, and they're extremely consistent. You know, up front on defense, you know, Claiborne is an uh, honors candidate, All-American. Uh, you know, I, I love the way the club plays inside. Daniels, those two guys are active and invalid. I mean, they've got two close to 300-pound defensive ends. Uh, they roll bins in there also quite a bit. So uh, they're deep. Uh, you know, they've had some injuries at linebacker, but the young guys at a point are very, very active. And the secondary has always been very disciplined. They don't let you get the ball behind them. And the ball hawks and make a lot of plays defensively. And then on offense, you know, Ricky's been extremely consistent. And, uh, you know, you look at a guy who's got, uh, I believe it's 21 touchdown passes, or 20, uh, 20, 21, and only three picks. He's made great choices with the ball. When I when I study quarterbacks, I get ready for the week, you know, I look at their decision-making, and Ricky has just been outstanding this year. I, again, I haven't watched the way that Coach O'Keefe or maybe Coach Ferentz has watched it, but I, I haven't seen him make a mistake yet. Fitzgerald was asked about the tackling problems his team had last year, part of the season, especially the Minnesota game, and the recurrence of that problem last week against Penn State. We're very consistent in the way that we approach uh, fundamentals and tech- technical aspects of playing all three phases of football. And, you know, I- I'd-, I'd be lying to you to say that we made a lot of systemic changes last year after we, we didn't tackle well against Minnesota. I mean, we just focused on it, and you typically achieve what you emphasize, and it's not that we didn't emphasize it last week. We just didn't accomplish it, and i got to give the credit to Penn State, but but at the end of the day, we, we've been tackling pretty well all year, so, you know, Robinson and Coker and the skill guys at, uh, at Iowa, they're not going to make it very easy on us. Fitzgerald talks about preparing for Iowa's play-action schemes on offense. You know, it, it's uh, we, we've been okay on the deep ball. I mean, they threw the ball deep on us, I think, either 12 or 14 times last year, uh, uh, and most of those were when James was in the game, when Vandenberg was in. So, uh, you know, they're going to launch it. They're going to, you know, they're going to have the play action pass. They're going to have the double moves. They're going to, you know, have the deep over routes. I mean, that, they do what they do. That's why they've been so successful over time. They don't trick you. They, they just execute and pound it. And, uh, and they got the great play action game off of it. So we just got to work it and uh, hopefully uh, go out there and defend it when, uh, when it presents itself on Saturday because you know it's going to happen. And while he would have preferred to have won the game, Fitzgerald was asked about his post-game conversation last week at mid field after Joe Paterno claimed his 400th victory, and he offers some additional insights about the difficulty both coaching and playing in today's environment. You know, I just uh, I just say congratulations to him and his family, to his staff and all of his players, and um, you know, I wish him nothing but the best of luck as we move forward, and I did a lot of listening, but uh, you know, I think it's a milestone that'll be uh, it'll be very hard to reach uh, for any of us that are currently in the profession. Number one, the uh, the expectations that the, uh, the, the tremendous internet and the media 
put on uh, on our players, I think, is at an all-time high. You know, our guys are, are analyzed and scrutinized at everything they do, and uh, the game, as far as who our young people listen to, has really, really changed. And so I think it's going to continue to be difficult when, when adversity strikes to help your guys stay focused. Uh, but it's tough, I think, if the coach talks to their guys about from a coaching standpoint. That's what you sign up for, so it's not that big of a deal. But I think for the players, it's a little bit more difficult to, to really shut things out because there is so much said about them and talked about and uh, you know you just got to be really disciplined with that back when I was playing only to worry about like the Daily Northwestern you know now everybody's got an opinion and, and uh, nobody has to show their face especially on blog sites so I think it's just more and more difficult for kids We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's Mike. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. What are your overall thoughts on the Indiana game, and how do you explain Iowa continuing to struggle against the Hoosiers? You know, it's, I don't know if it's a matchup thing. I think although if you, if you have an offensive plan that says, I'm gonna, we're going to throw the ball quick, we're going to take four or five yard gains and be patient. If you, if you have the ability to be patient, you can actually have some success against our defense. It's when you rush, you try to do things. You don't convert on first and second down and get positive yardage, then you put yourself in a bad situation. And I think Indiana has been able to do that. Northwestern also does that a little bit as well. So I think that's what the issue is, is you know, our front four can't create pressure because they're throwing the ball out so quick. And, and they just made plays when they had to. Fortunately for us, they didn't make the play at the end when they could have. Did it look to you like Iowa came ready to play right off the bat? No. Um, you know, but that's, like I said, that's t- a lot of that's just Indiana's preparation and their, and their game plan, and it, it forces you to be different. The, the, the frustrating thing for me was just not scoring in the red zone for our offense, not converting. I thought, they were, I thought we were running the ball effectively, but just, you know, didn't punch it in when we could have and should have, and we could have put the game away early with, with finishing in the red zone. But that was the biggest down part of what we were accomplishing offensively. Given what's at stake, the respected talent levels, the records, would there have been any valid excuse in your mind if the Hawks had lost this game? They shouldn't have lost. I mean, they, they, you know, they, they could have. That's the sad thing is they could have lost a game and they're still in the driver's seat as far as the Big Ten and, and controlling their destiny as far as being a co-champion or whatever. But it's the Big Ten, you know, and, and you know, obviously they, they locked in against Michigan State, played extremely well, but to Indiana's credit, I thought they had a good game plan. They kept it close, and that's, you know, kind of been Iowa's motto all along as they play close games. Um, and when you do that, there's enough people in the Big Ten that can make plays and win. So, you know, we got to be careful. Northwestern's got a similar system and a similar philosophy when it comes to playing the Hawks. In spite of pretty good stats, Ricky Sanzi just looked off for much of this game. Would that be your assessment? And uh, what happens to a quarterback when he's out of sync? You know, yeah, I mean, it just was, there was, obviously, there's, they took away what we do well, I think, and then not until the very end when we just, you know, had a lot of success and guys were wide open, uh, did he really get going in that last drive that we had offensively, but, um, you know, I mean, that's that's credit to Indiana, and, you know, I mean, you've got to find a way to win, and, and, and we did, but... You know, I just thought maybe we, you know, we got away from the run a little bit at certain times, and you know, I think we had over 100 yards rushing in the first half, and we we're having some success there. So I mean, just, you know, you got to find ways to pound those in when you got them. If we, with our defense, if we're up 14, 15, 16 points, in my opinion, it's almost insurmountable. Marcus Coker showed well in this game. 
It's good to have a solid number two running back again. Can you talk about what you see in him and compare and contrast his style with the type of running back that is Adam Robinson? Well, Adam Robinson's a little bit more elusive. I mean, I'm not saying that he's the most elusive guy in the Big Ten, but he, he, he shakes. You know, he's got enough wiggle that you can't get a direct hit on him. He's always picking up three or four yards after you think they're going to get him. So he's got a unique knack there where Coker's more of a physical downhill. I'm going to run. I'm not going to do much fancy and I'm going to get my five yards and that's going to be you know the extent of it so uh, I think Coker's a little bit more physical runner but you know Robinson's a little bit more elusive. Iowa's defense held Indiana well below their season offensive averages uh, but again it nearly gave up another last minute long game-winning drive what is it about either the schemes or the personnel groupings that appears to be making them so vulnerable in these critical situations? I think, you know, a lot of it is just Indiana. I mean, being very patient, you know, uh, taking what they give you, converting on third and short. If you can get positive yards on first and second down uh, and get into second and third and shorts, then it's very, very managed. We can run the ball or you can pass the ball. I thought they did find a couple things. The square outs, the little short corner route they were hitting. I thought at will against us for the most part. They had a scheme in place that they knew what we were doing and, and they were able to, to capitalize on that. But, you know, still, I mean, it was difficult. I mean, Iowa made them make plays. You know, they had to catch a fourth down slant. They had to, you know, throw the ball with pressure into the, you know, the end zone. Now, but like I said, those are the things that Big Ten teams and talented Big Ten teams are going to make those plays and they're going to beat you if you're not careful. So, you know, we got to be careful against Northwestern, Minnesota, obviously going down the stretch and, and make sure that we don't put ourselves in that position. That should have been a game we were up 21 nothing or 21 points going into the fourth quarter and had no worries. Uh, one other point on the Indiana game. After having a lot of success earlier in the season, getting many of his kickoffs into the end zone, now it seems as if Mike Meyer is struggling to get much deeper than the 10-yard line. Uh, what could be going on there to cause that distance drop-off, and does it have anything to do with how uh, having a field goal and PAT responsibilities or something different with his technique? No, I mean, a lot of it is he's a young guy. He's not used to kicking this long in the season. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, he's probably getting a little bit of a dead leg. He, you know, he started three or four weeks before high school. He may not be physically, you know, where he was. Plus, the temperature's dropping. I mean, obviously, it was a beautiful day, but, you know, you're not kicking in 80-degree weather. Uh, Indiana's kind of a more of an open stadium, so the wind's more of a factor. And, and so it's a combination of weather, temperature, wind, those types of things. Plus, you know, it's getting late in the season, and he's, you know, he's a young guy still. Going into the Northwestern game, everything's still on the line for Iowa. What do you think they learned coming out of the Indiana game in terms of maybe helping them prepare better for the Wildcats? Well, hopefully they, they learned that you got to score. you got to put teams away. you got to get up on teams. And, and with our defense especially, I mean, make it a two-possession game and we got a good shot. You know, make it a three-possession game and it's almost insurmountable for another team to beat you, in my opinion. But, you know, I mean, so let's score. We get in the red zone. Let's put touchdowns up and not field goals. And let's be smart about things and, and uh, you know, eliminate the turnovers, the mistakes, the penalties, and that thing. And if we do that, we've got enough talent to be, you know, a top 10 caliber team. With how much Northwestern has dominated Iowa the past several years, is that pretty much all Kirk has to remind his players of? Or maybe something to try and stop them from overlooking Wildcats singing about Ohio State? Well, I would have thought that had been the case with Indiana last year, you know, or this last week with Indiana and the way we played last year. You know, you try to use those things as, as examples of what can happen, and, and obviously the players know firsthand what Northwestern's capable of doing. So, you know, that you, you, you still have to play aggressive. You know, it's not 
you're not playing last year's team, two years team, three years team. This is this team, and this is our defense. This is their offense. It's new players for the most part. You know, there's some obviously some some carryover, but it, it's a new team, and and our defense just needs to go out and do what they do. And if we do that, I feel very good about where we're at. And if you if you get defensive, if you get conservative, if you get out of your what you do, then that's when you start creating problems. So uh, we just need to do what we do and, and do it aggressively. Dan Persa, another excellent dual threat quarterback, the key to much of their offense and production. How do you think Iowa will try and defend him, and how vulnerable do you think Iowa's scheme is to his style of play? Well, I think you know what we'll do is we'll try to make him one dimensional. We'll try to make sure first and foremost they can't run the football. Northwestern's a team that I think likes to spread you out to run it if they can. If they can run the ball effectively in the spread, now you got some serious problems. I think we'll obviously maintain the fact that we don't want them to run the football effectively. If we can make them so they have to throw it 65, 67 times, you know, I really like our defense from that standpoint. We'll get out, we'll play the pass, we'll be effective on it. The thing about Northwestern, though, is that they're disciplined. They're smart kids. They they get the scheme that they're in and they'll convert, you know, thirds and, and fives if we give them an uncontested throw and catch. So we've got to make sure that we are contesting every single square inch of the field and, and not giving them the easy stuff that they can convert. Uh, Northwestern, the second week in a row Iowa's playing a team like this, uh, near the bottom of the Big Ten when it comes to pass defense. Do you think Iowa will try and take advantage of this with their game plan, or will we see the same old Iowa offense? Well, I mean, I, I think the same old Iowa offense for the most part. Obviously, they'll take shots if they, if they feel it, it, it warrants. You know, if they get an 8-9 in the box, they're going to take shots down the field. You always worry a little bit with uh, this stadium being so close to the lake. It could be extremely windy, uh, chilly. You just never know. And and so the passing game could be affected by uh, the conditions of, of being in November in, in Chicago, Evanston area. But, you know, we're going to do what we do. We're going to run the football, play action off of it, uh, take our shots periodically down the field. And, you know, for us, it all comes down to can we run the ball effectively. We can do that. It's going to put Northwestern in a big, big line. Uh, as a coach, do you focus more on trying to take advantage of your opponent's skilling weaknesses, or you try and focus on your own strengths? Well, it's a, a combination of both. You know, you try to play your strengths and hide your weaknesses, but then you also try to exploit what you think may be an advantage for you, and then go to those things and, and set those those opportunities up. So I mean, it's it's a lot like a chess match. You want to create advantages uh, for your your guys, put your guys in position to give them the best opportunity to be successful. And so it's a combination of both things. But for the most part, I think Iowa's going to do what they do, and that's they want to run the football. You know, they want to be inside the outside zone, a little bit of a power game, and then throw the play action off of it. So, But that being the case, you're going to look for guys. You're going to look for areas you think, okay, their left side's a little bit stronger than the right side. So, you know, that's what we're going to look to go to the, to the weaker side. Uh, we're going to look to pick on this corner or this safety a little bit. So you know, that's just all part of what normally goes on during the course of the week. Uh, as fans, what should we look for early on in this game to try and give us a sense of how it might turn out, and what's your final score prediction? Just you know, if Northwestern can run the ball effectively, if they can if they can get space created for their running game with the spread offense, then it's going to cause massive problems for our linebacker core because now they got to stay in closer for the run, and now they got to try to get out and cover the slot guys. So if we can effectively stop the running game, keep them in second and long, third and longs, I, I, I think we're just going to tee off and have a great day defensively. Offensively, if we can run the ball effectively, if we can get going downhill, if we're in those second manageable seconds for 
you know, third and one, third and two, then Northwestern's going to have some big problems for that issue. I, I think it's a game that's built for us. It's built for the way we do things. If, if the lessons we can learn of, you know what, when we get the opportunity, let's score, let's get this thing over with early, let's get up 21, 28, you know, like we did against Michigan State and see how, they, how well they respond to that type of pressure. Uh, you know, and I think that's the kind of game it should be and ultimately will be. I think Iowa's going to win by 20, 21 points. All right, thanks a lot. Hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. So one more trip into the red zone and one more time that the Hawkeyes shoot themselves in the foot. Couple of penalties back some way up out of range to really dial something up to get in the end zone. But again, a good open field tackle there by Leon Beckham forces yet another field goal opportunity in the red zone for Iowa. Mike Meyer on for his fourth attempt. He is two for three. And this one is good. In our Big Ten notebook this week, with the Hawks hanging on for a victory at Indiana, the Big Ten title remains up for grabs with just three weekends of play remaining. Michigan State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Iowa still have only one loss each. Technically speaking, however, nine conference teams are mathematically still in the hunt. Based on their opponent's record, it would appear that Ohio State has the toughest remaining schedule, including a game against the Hawks in Kinnick Stadium next week. The conference continues to have four teams in the top 13 in all three major polls and in the BCS rankings, with Wisconsin leading the way this week. BCS scenarios continue to abound, and we're down to just four unbeaten teams in the FBS, Oregon, Auburn, TCU, and Boise State. After last weekend's games, the Big Ten now has seven bowl-eligible teams, and there are three additional teams that could gain that status over the next three weeks. The conference has eight automatic bowl tie-ins. The big news from last Saturday was Joe Paterno gaining his 400th career win as a head coach, a record that, in all likelihood, will never be broken. Joe Paw becomes the first FBS coach ever to get to the 400 win mark. Just to remind you, he's in his 45th season as head coach of the Nittany Lions. His overall record is 400, 132 and 3, and he has coached all 535 of those games at Penn State. A couple of other interesting notes, Paterno got not only his 400th win in Beaver Stadium, but also his 100th, 200th, and 300th victories. And since Joe took over the head job, there have been 863 coaching changes at other Division I schools. Pretty amazing. Of course, as we know, Paterno got that 400th win in a comeback performance against Northwestern. The Nittany Lions face a very daunting task this weekend, traveling to Columbus to play Ohio State in another important conference matchup. Speaking of career wins, Iowa's victory over Indiana gave Kirk Ferentz his 100th as head coach, originally at Maine and for the most part at Iowa. In that game, either Kirk or Bill Lynch of Indiana was going to reach the century mark since they both went into the contest contest with 99 victories. And for the older listeners who used to equate the Big Ten with three yards and a cloud of dust, last Saturday's thrilling overtime Illinois-Michigan contest in Ann Arbor set the 
all-time conference record for combined scoring in a game. A phenomenal 132 points and a combined 1,237 yards of total offense, 58 first downs, 665 passing yards, and 572 yards on the ground. The previous record was 115 set back in 1993. Great story. Compelling and rich. Mike Meyer, 42-yard attempt. Three for four in the game for Meyer. 42 yards away, and it's good. So we have a one-point game after the 42-yard field goal from Mike Meyer here in Bloomington. Time now for our Reporters Roundtable with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett talks with Pat and Rob about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. Following Iowa's escape at Indiana, the media and fans have used terms like survive or do what they had to do, it's what good teams do, yada, yada, yada. Some people feel like this is a loss. Well, I completely disagree with that because it's the last I checked, there were seven and two and four and one in the Big Ten. It's a game that they probably should have lost, but they didn't lose. And like Julian Vanderbilt said, it's the kind of game where you learn the kind of lessons that you usually do during a loss, but they were able to get a victory out of it. So you just move on. I mean, it's going to look like an 18 to 13 victory in the media guide a year from now. It'll be a victory. And they didn't play well, but they still avoided the ultimate prize. Yeah, they got lucky. Yeah. Belcher dropped the ball. It's, it happens. They, uh, they've had it go the other way on them, and usually law of averages, I think this stuff probably evens out over time. Uh, we'll talk about this later when we preview the Northwestern game. But Iowa goes into Indiana facing one of the worst passing defenses in the conference, yet spends most of the first half running the ball. And they piled up stats, but they couldn't score a touchdown. Is that Kirk and Ken just being very conservative, regardless of the opposition? I think it is them being who they are, and I'm never surprised if they're going to run that much, especially when you have a true freshman running back gaining 102 yards in the first half. I mean, he ran for 100 yards in the first half. If they would have just converted in the red zone, I don't think people would have been questioning the play calling. I think they should have ran the ball more in the red zone. I think they got in the red zone, and all of a sudden they started throwing that fade pattern where unless you're completely, if you're executing it perfectly, it's going to work. The problem I have with that play, though, is it turns the sideline into an extra defender. And I think they should have ran the ball more. I don't have a problem with them doing what they did. The one thing that surprised me in this game was that the tight end never seemed open. It almost seemed like at times Indiana knew exactly where Iowa's receivers were going on some of those pass plays. Yeah, I didn't have issue with the mix of run and pass. I had issue with some of the play calling, as Pat said. You know, you, you try to fade once or twice, but to keep going to it, you know, to, to me seemed like you were trying to, you know, jam a, a square peg into a round hole and, and maybe you switch it up a little bit more. There. And Stancy was off on Saturday. You know, he's had a great year, but he just was inaccurate with his passes. I think, you know, he makes a couple of throws on some deep balls to DJK or McNutt. Game's probably different and it's more comfortable in that last play to Belcher really isn't a factor because they've got a 14, you know, 17 point lead. And the offensive line was playing great. They're run blocking. Coker did a great job, but the holes that he was running through were huge. Oh, you mentioned right there, Marcus Coker having a very nice game, put up good numbers, but how much do you think the Hawks still miss Adam Robinson? 
Well, numbers-wise, none. I mean, if that, they could have gotten Adam 130 yards, you would have been status quo. I think you miss Adam for a lot of different reasons. Maybe there was some pass blocking or something that we missed. Maybe they had to make a couple substitutions in this game that they wouldn't have made had Adam been there. But from just from a pure breaking tackles and gaining the statistics they needed to provide balance, I think he was there. But I think you missed his leadership. And maybe, I don't know, maybe they did some different play calling with Adam not in there. We just, we don't know. Yeah, I agree. And, and Coker struggled running in the red zone. He just seemed a little bit unsure of himself or thought a little bit too much about where he wanted to go. And I think Mets is, that's probably a, a area where Robinson's more seasoned, maybe has a little bit more patience, um, maybe, can, maybe can make something happen in the red zone. But, yeah, I agree with Pat. I don't think there was a huge difference one way or the other. I think they, like Pat said, I think they missed the tight end more than anything. It seemed like that would be a position they could have uh, maybe exploited against Indiana. And I don't, I, I haven't gone back and watched the game, so I don't know what Indiana did to take Reisner and, and you know Herman away. But they were they were uh, invisible on yeah. Saturday. Uh, thoughts on the overall performance of the linebackers and defensive backs? They were okay. I mean, they do a good job of getting their hands on passes. James Morris is great at deflecting passes. They need to get a little better at that old Oski drill you used to. Play. It seems like there's a lot of times where balls get up in the air and they don't end up with the inners. Lots of times they do. I thought they did okay under the circumstances. I mean, Tarpinion still can't play in run situations, which is kind of weird, the fact that he can play in pass situations and tackle guys after they catch a pass. I think, I guess, maybe it's the whole physical buildup of having to play four downs, but they're still a little shorthanded, and I thought they did pretty good. Indiana didn't really run the ball much. I thought they did okay. I, I did too. I think they'll probably be attested at, at least as much this week because they're going to have to deal with a quarterback. And I know we'll get into preview, but they're going to have – Chapel was a sitting duck. He couldn't really move, so that kind of gave him an advantage of not having to worry about the run as much. Um, I, I like the linebacker core with Tarpinian on the strong side. If he, if he can, as Pat said, if he can get healthy enough to play against the run and you have Tarp, Morris, and Hunter, I think that's a pretty good linebacker core. It's not what you started the season with. Obviously, you missed Nielsen, uh, but I think those are three really competent, competent. <laughs> linebackers. And, uh, you know, even though Micah Hyde got picked on against Saturday, he didn't give up any big plays, which I thought was a step forward for him. And I like Shane DeBona. The more I watch him, I think he's pretty good at, at doing the run and the pass so they've found some linebackers due to this turmoil they've had with injuries and what have you but like Rob said Chapel not only is not a mobile quarterback to begin with but he was his one his ankle made it to where he could barely move and that is definitely changing this weekend uh, back to the offense for a minute other than TV and radio play-by-play uh, -play during the game this hasn't been discussed very much but we have another glaring example of very bad clock management in a crucial drive in the third quarter. Iowa close to the goal line, O'Keefe doesn't get the play in on time, the clock penalty, then the timeout, and another penalty because the play is being rushed, and the Hawks pretty much taken out of a realistic shot at the touchdown. How much do you think Ferentz tries to address this ongoing problem? Oh, I'm sure they try to address it, but the problem we have sitting here we don't know exactly what ha what happened on the sideline. We're not sure if O'Keefe got the play in too late. We're not sure where the breakdown happened, and we're the play that the penalty that happened afterwards. If I remember correctly, didn't an offensive lineman jump? 
Yeah. That's not O'Keefe's fault. I think the kind of from the tone of that question, it sounded like it was like kind of an inadvertent way to suggest that O'Keefe's not managing the clock right. And I'm just not sure if that's the case. There's so many things that go into getting a play in there on time, and I'm not sure exactly what we're on. They do have some issues with that. Kirk even said he wants to buy that book on clock management. I found that book. Did you? Yeah, I'm so, yesterday. There actually is a book on clock so management. So Kirk, Kirk has admitted that maybe they have some issues there, but like I said, we're not sure where all the breakdowns occurred on that little sequence. No, and you know, the only thing that I would say is there has been a history of it. I mean, the players have changed, but they have had some issues with getting plays in late, and I don't know what the reason is for that. I don't know if it's indecision on the coach's part, uh, you know, not, not knowing what you know, not having a plan in a certain situation. But I, you know, Drew Tate was a hothead as it was, but he used to get really aggravated yeah. that the plays would come in slowly. Just not a strength. We've talked about it before on this podcast. It's just not a strength of this coaching staff. It's something that, you know, that you hope they get better at. But I don't think, uh, as Pat said, I don't think it was a huge thing in that drive just because, you know, there was a penalty on that was obviously not the fault of the coaches. All right, before we turn to the Northwestern game, can we get an assessment on Big Ten recruiting overall and where the Hawks might fit in at this point in the process? I just That's doing a story. On I'm doing a story. I just talked to Alan True, Scout.com Midwest manager and part-time stand-up comic. <laughs> and he has Iowa right now ranked fifth in the rankings, and he kind of uses the Scout.com formula which sort of takes away the subjectivity. There's, you know, but one area where I was hurting a little bit compared to the teams, the four teams ranked above them, they have more commitments. Right now, he said Ohio State's in a class, they're by themselves, but between two, three, four, and five, he says things could change. It looks like Iowa's gonna be an upper division team. Both, that's kind of what I'm writing. Both in, big, in the Big Ten football race and in recruiting, they're gonna finish in the upper division. It just depends on where they, if Iowa finishes strong, he made it sound like they could be as high as maybe second or third, that's a big gift though they got to land some of these guys yeah and they have fortunately for them they have you know Brandon Jackson's a four-star I think Delvon Simmons is going to go up now that he got a Florida Penn State offer he'll probably add another star Gordon's adding one Gordon's going to add one um, you got uh, Ewan Price who's a four-star uh, Cyrus Candijo who's a long shot but if somebody like that were to come in that just raises I mean one you get a couple of four three four-star kids that can really raise your class and I'm as somebody who works for a recruiting website, I will readily admit this. If a kid goes to Ohio State, has shows, you know, Ohio State shows early interest in a certain kid, he's going to get more stars. It may not be that he's an extra star better than, uh, I'll say, Austin Blythe, for instance, a kid that grew up in Iowa. You know, and really hasn't been exposed nationally. He's a kid that is a three, you know, between a three and four star probably. That who knows? Maybe he's a five star if he goes to Ohio State or or Florida or Michigan or something like that. So if Iowa ends up in Scout.com's top five in the Big Ten, that says a lot because they're not getting an extra advantage because of the name. And Alan True made it sound like they have a better chance of going up than down. All right, another must-win game for Iowa on the road against a Northwestern team that has won four of the last five. Yes, they have, and I, I've been saying it all year. I think how they defend Dan Persh is going to be the key to this game, and to me, he is a more polished, less explosive Denard Robinson. That's how I would – a better passer. I mean, there was a time where I would have probably picked him as my all-Big Ten quarterback. I think what Iowa has to really guard against, and Micah Hyde was talking about this because cornerbacks are huge with this, is third and seven. 
you cover everybody, then boom, Persis scrambles and somehow he gets eight. That's what just kills the defense. And Micah Hyatt admitted that's one of the things they're really working on. That to me, if if, if Persis converts a bunch of those third down situations like that, I see Northwestern winning this game. They have to figure out a way to, to nullify that. And I think Iowa's going to have to score three, at least three touchdowns to win this game. I really do. I think this game's going to be more high scoring than the, the last couple of games for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, and I'll piggyback the, you know, Pat's focus on the defense to Iowa's offense, which two years ago with Stanzi uh, scored 17 points, you know, at home against Northwestern. Last year, Stanzi gets hurt. You know, we all talked about Vandenberg coming in and being, you know, maybe a little under, underprepared, overwhelmed, whatever. They couldn't move the ball or score on, on Northwestern. I think Northwestern's defense with Pat Fitzgerald has taken the biggest step of probably, you know, you look at teams like Purdue and Indiana and teams that like to spread the ball around on offense and, and play, you know, basketball on grass, fast break basketball on grass, or whatever you want to call it. I just think Northwestern's defense has kind of figured out how to stop Iowa's offense, gotten physical, knocked Stanzi out last year, knocked Sean Green out the year before. I think it's a different Northwestern team than maybe we saw earlier in the 2000s where they were more of a finesse defense and, and relied on their offense. It's a physical defense, and Iowa's going to have its work cut out for them. And you got Robinson coming back from a concussion injury. They're going to bang on him. So, like Pat said, I think it's probably going to take three touchdowns, and, and that's my worry, whether Iowa will be able to do that. And North, Iowa seems to bring out the best in Northwestern. It's sort of – I've even written this. It's – Fitzgerald is kind of like what Dan McCarney was. There was always times where on paper you're like, wow, there's, the, Iowa should win this game, but oh, they don't. Six. Yeah, I mean, they don't. And there just seems like there's – was right now it seems like Northwestern has the mental edge on Iowa. Almost like when Iowa plays Penn State. Yeah. Like Kirk has on Joe uh, Like Kirk has on Joe Paul, yep. Was the Indiana game a wake-up call for Iowa going into Edmondson on Saturday? I don't know. I think, you know, I would have thought they would have got a wake-up call after how close things were with with Michigan, and then they came home and did, they looked they looked like they were the team less motivated than Wisconsin. Then they go and they beat Michigan State. You think that gives them confidence and motivation? They go to Indiana. I can't figure this team out, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know what motivates them. They seem like a every other week team. Penn State, they're – dominant Michigan they let Michigan back in the game they lose to Wisconsin come back against Michigan State play bad against Indiana I just they're kind of schizophrenic and I don't really believe in wake-up calls especially this this late in the season I think this team is what it is it's a work in progress this is Iowa football under Kirk Ferentz just when you think that okay wow they're on a roll they remind you that we're still a work in progress and just when you think they're about ready to collapse they pull off that Michigan State thing I just this is it even if you look back at that 0-2 team if you look back to some of those scores from that season, as great as that team was in our mind, they still had. They went to Indiana and only won that game 24 to seven. Did nothing in the second half. Cameron Hamden. Yeah, and they barely beat Miami of Ohio. They had to stop. Yeah. This is Iowa football under Kirk Ferentz. They're not. When Florida has really good teams, they win games 45 to nothing. That's not Iowa football. So just get used to it and just be happy that you can avoid one of these sloppy performances. Avoid having a loss. And I think there's a chance they look ahead to Ohio State. I, saw, I mean, you hope that doesn't happen happen but that's a big 
big game just kind of hanging out there. If they get the win this week, it, then it is. Then it's a, it's a huge a game. bigger game. But, but if not, you know, if they get caught looking ahead at all, they'll lose. Because they had a letdown last week in Indiana after having an emotional big win against Michigan State. They had a letdown in Indiana anyway. Slice it. And I just think that as great as people think Ricky Stanzi is, Dan Persa impacts the game way more than Ricky Stanzi does. Ricky can't Stanzi can't do anything with his legs, and that's to me limits Iowa's offense when they get pressure in the pocket in a lot of ways Iowa offense is done whereas Northwestern in some ways just gets started he does most of his damage when he's scrambling out of the pocket Wildcats are at the bottom of the Big Ten when it comes to pass defense do you think Iowa will try and take advantage of that early? Well, I think it'll be just like Indiana. If it'll, if it'll, I think they're still going to come out and run two out of three plays to begin with. If Ricky's on, then maybe some of those early passes that didn't work against Indiana will work against Northwestern. But I don't think they're going to just come out all of a sudden and throw nine out of ten passes. They're going to run the ball, be who they are. But, yeah, they're going to try to throw the ball because, I mean, Ricky threw the ball 33 times last week. Even when people f- perceived them as being conservative, they, ran, they threw 33 times and ran two in reverses. That's pretty radical for Iowa. And we also got to remember at least early weather reports for this weekend is the weather could be a little dicey at Ryan Field. That could also change things. I mean, that's a, it's so close to the lake. You know, I've been there before where, you know, if it's a nasty day, the wind's blowing. If it's rain or sleet or something like that, that could impact. But I think, you know, with having turned the ball over nine times combined in the last two games, Iowa's going to try to establish that run early to set up the pass. And we'll see. I think Northwestern's probably going to try to stop that run. So it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be a battle of wills early on. Uh, key storylines, key players for each team. Dan Persa, containing Dan Persa. I like Dan Persa. I think that's the key to the whole game. Yep. And not starting quickly. They need to start quickly, and then then you can say, okay, we've got that mental thing with Northwestern out of the way. They can't give up a key turnover. I just got this image of Quentin Davy intercepting a pass or something. They they can't do something like that and all of a sudden be behind ten to nothing. If they're behind ten to nothing in the first quarter of this game, I think mentally it's that's going to be their biggest challenge. But they have to contain Dan Persa and not let him beat them on third down. And I think they can do that. I'll again go back and, and touch on Iowa's offense if they can control the ball yeah. and keep him off the field, run the ball. Like with the factors we don't know is we don't know how A-Rob's going to come back from a concussion. He's a tough kid. You hope that he, you know, get back there and run hard, but maybe he is a little bit tentative. Um, how much they work Marcus Coker into the game to keep both of those guys fresh? Um, you know, was Stanzi's week last week an aberration? He's had a really good year, but he was off last week. Is that something they correct? And, and weather factors into that too. They had nine penalties last week, which was, again, I mean, Nine turnovers the last two years against Northwestern. Like Pat said, you got to wipe that out. Northwestern's only turned it over twice against Iowa in the last two years. And you got to stay away from penalties. You know, you can't do things that are, if they do what they did against Indiana, they will lose this week. Yep. Final score prediction. Right now, I've got Iowa winning 28-24, but I, I, I mean, I'm like 51-49. I would not be surprised if they lost this game. Yeah, I would probably go. I'm going to go 24-17 Iowa. I pick that score every week, I think. But we're both both kind of within the one touchdown thing. I think they're favored by 10 or 11. I would not pick them to cover the spread. That's too much. Um, Yeah, I think it'll be one of those games that, again, 
comes down to the fourth quarter. I, I don't think this is a game where Iowa or Northwestern runs away and hides no. at halftime. It's a game where I know I keep harping that Iowa defenders are going to have to do a good job of tackling person in space. I think I, if they if he's running through ankle tackles and gaining four and five extra yards on play, I just think that's going to have such a debilitating effect on the defense, and it's just going to keep Northwestern out on the field. And I don't know. We'll see. James Morris is going to get a good test running sideline to sideline tackling person. He's not a big guy. He's just a good player. Any other thoughts? I was doing my preview this morning, and I, I talked about it earlier. I just I can't figure this Iowa team out, other than the fact they're seven and two and four and one, and they're in good position here. They win this week, and next week is enormous. So I, I don't know if you if you think if you think this Northwestern is a jinx or whatever if they've gotten into Iowa's mind we'll find out on Saturday yeah and as strange as this Iowa team is I think this series with Northwestern since especially since Fitzgerald got on board is even stranger so we'll just have to wait and see I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber didn't want to do it till I owed it to them here is fourth down from the 19 Chapel gets it away to the end zone it's Belcher touchdown Hoosiers so now they're ruling this pass is incomplete from up here. It looked like DeMarlo Belcher came down with this football. And this entire stadium thought that Indiana was going to upset the Hawkeyes. Belcher could just not hang on to that football. After further review, the ruling on the field is confirmed. Incomplete pass. <laughs> HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. You use your tongue prettier than a twenty-dollar whore. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefins Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883. 0842 Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Iowa hits the road for the second consecutive week, traveling to Evanston to face a very dangerous Northwestern team that has dominated the Hawks in recent years. This is a must-win for Iowa in order to set up a huge showdown the following week in Kinnick Stadium against Ohio State in what would be a Big Ten title elimination game. But first things first, an Iowa loss this Saturday eliminates the Hawks from title contention. This is the 72nd game in this series. Iowa leads it 46-22-3, but the Wildcats have won 
won four of the last five, including the last two in Iowa City. Iowa's last victory in the series was in 2007 in Evanston. Kirk Ferentz is in his 12th year as Iowa head coach with an 88-57 record with the Hawks and coming off his 100th career win as a head coach. Pat Fitzgerald is one of the youngest head coaches in the country. He's in his fifth year at Northwestern with a record of 33-26. and And sort of like Ferentz dominating Joe Paterno in head-to-head matchups, Fitzgerald has done the same thing to Ferentz in these games. Iowa comes into this contest with a 7-2 record, 4-1 in the Big Ten, while Northwestern is 6-3 overall and 2-3 in the conference. Incidentally, this is expected to be the largest crowd for an Iowa-Northwestern game in Evanston since 1985. It is a sellout. A crowd of 47,000 is expected. These two teams bring some interesting matchups into the game. Both have effective and very efficient quarterbacks and offenses. Both rank high in the nation and in the Big Ten in positive turnover margins. And their quarterbacks, Iowa's Ricky Stanzi and the Wildcats' Dan Persa, are among the best in the country. Perhaps the key difference, however, is the defenses. While both teams run a similar scheme, although Northwestern blitzes far more than Iowa, the Wildcats rank near the bottom in several key conference defensive statistics, while the Hawks continue to rank among the best nationally and in the Big Ten. Northwestern has been particularly vulnerable against the pass, but also ranks sixth in the Big Ten in rushing yards allowed per game. Their turnover margin has been the key statistic in the last two games in this series, with Northwestern coming out on top by a wide margin. Given these teams' current rankings, something will have to give in this contest, and whichever team wins the turnover battle Saturday will likely win the game as well. Another major factor in Iowa's last two losses to Northwestern has been devastating injuries. In 2008, it was Sean Green forced out of the game. Last year, of course, it was Ricky Stanzi after he got rolled up in the end zone and suffered a serious ankle injury that finished his regular season. The Wildcats have been in every game they played in the conference this year. Some poor tackling, costly penalties, and critical mistakes have been the difference. Otherwise, the Wildcats would be contending for the conference title right now. When it comes to their offense, everything Wildcat revolves around dual-threat quarterback Dan Persa. He is second in the Big Ten in total offense. He leads Northwestern in rushing yards, and he's 20th in the country in points responsible for. He ranks 10th nationally in pass efficiency, completing 73.4% of his throws for nearly 2,300 yards. Persa personally averages almost 340 yards a game in total offense. He has also been sacked 31 times this year, which is the most in the Big Ten. When Persa is throwing, the Wildcats have two outstanding receivers. Whiteout Jeremy Ebert and tight end, or what Northwestern calls their superback, Drake Dunsmore. When it comes to their running game, other than Persa, the Wildcats are limited and inexperienced. Iowa's defensive line will try to respond by staying in their lanes and attempting to collapse the pocket on Persa, as opposed to going for sacks, and the play of the Hawks linebackers and defensive backs will be especially critical against Northwestern's offense. Watch out for late game sustained drives in this one. Iowa's offense will be bolstered by the return of running back Adam Robinson, secure in the knowledge that there is now also a solid backup in Marcus Coker. Ricky Stanzi is having an excellent season, as are receivers DJK and Marvin McNutt. Look for the Hawks to stick to a balanced approach on offense, especially since the Wildcats have shown vulnerability to both running and passing. If it comes down to special teams, the Hawks may have a slight advantage with place kicker Mike Meyer, who seems to gain more confidence each week. The Wildcats' senior kicker, Stefan Demos, 
has struggled this year, hitting on only 12 of 18 field goal attempts, including 5 of 8 in the last four games. He has also missed four PATs and had another block. This could very well be a high-scoring game, but then we also expected that last week at Indiana, and look what we got. You get the feeling the Hawks and Ferentz may have been looking forward to this contest and the chance to make up for some of the frustrations Northwestern has inflicted on Iowa in recent years. It should be a very exciting game with a lot of Iowa fans in attendance. In any event, just like last week and the next two games, it is do or die for the Hawkeyes when it comes to remaining in the Big Ten championship chase. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know what. Whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. Okay. Now, I can't read it. There's no, there's no words on it. There's no words there to play us out. I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. All right, go, go. That's tomorrow, and that is it. I can't do it. We'll do it live. No. We'll do it live. I can, I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Thing sucks. Kirk Ferentz and his team stay alive for that Big Ten championship as they win it 18-13. Again, it's Stanzi to McNutt in the fourth quarter, 52 yards, and that provides the difference as Iowa wins it. Coach Ferentz and his Iowa Hawkeyes improved to 7-2 on the season. They are now 4-1 in conference play. And they get the victory over the Indiana Hoosiers. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week. Once again, another nice job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football in 2010. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.